Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and all-round good bloke, Steve Tanner, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, an award-winning magazine that's available digitally and in print in UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada, and the good old USA. Now, issue 13 was due to come out in newsagents and comic shops in April, but due to the coronavirus, it won't be there until mid-May at the earliest. However, all is not lost, because if you order your print copy online by 31st of March, then you'll receive it in April as expected. Digital and print subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. And be sure to check out their website, comicscene.org, for more news, details, and other fun stuff. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Steve Tanner. How's it going? It's going very well, Sam. Thanks for asking. Oh, absolute pleasure. Um, and it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on during an actual apocalypse as well. So thank you very much for coming on. That's all right. I'm 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 in my uh, my bunker at the moment, um, yeah. so uh, I'm all I'm all stocked up with all the uh, essentials: pasta, of course, um, your toilet roll, uh, toilet rolls, yeah. yes, a bit of hand wash, of and gin, yeah. obviously. So yeah, see, well, yeah, I'm all ready to go. <laughs> an apocalypse wouldn't be guns. an apocalypse without gin, would it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, um, for for those that haven't come across you uh, just yet, um, do in the world of comics, Steve. Well, I'm probably best known for being the public face of uh, Time Bomb Comics, which yes. is a British comics company that um, uh, publishes comics and graphic novels, uh, including the uh, Flintlock and Brawler anthology series. And uh, Time Bomb has been going since uh, September 2007. Um, so that's what I'm probably known for. Um, I'm kind of a familiar face at a lot of the uh, conventions the major so. I always see you there in your beautiful jackets. Well, yeah, if there's people yeah. kind of know me for the jackets as well. So um, people tend to spot me from afar. Because Is that of... something that you've always done? Because I've always been meaning to ask that. Yes, I've always, I mean, even before I, I got into um, the, the, into kind of producing comics myself and publishing comics myself, um, the jackets kind of preceded that. Um, the, the, you know, they go back a, a long way. And, and a lot of it goes back, right back to, I guess, the, 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 the late 80s and the early 90s um where i i kind of find found the and i still do the that that kind of traditional kind of dark blue brown black men's suit very yeah. very boring and drab um exactly. so i just didn't want to kind of i just don't like wearing stuff like that i like to wear what i want to wear um so so it, it, it's always come it's always been there the jackets um and um yeah, it's kind of it's become almost a bit of a trademark, really. Um, but um, but the thing is, is actually you know what I normally because I normally wear that stuff anyway, even when I'm not not at a show. So right. um, it's not just a, like a costume just I put on for the yeah. Oh, that's fantastic! Um, it's good to know that you've kind of always done that, um, and uh, long may it continue. Well, I hope so. I hope so. 
absolutely uh now uh where can people find you online well we have a uh, time bomb comics has a uh, website which is uh timebombcomics.com nice and easy to um to remember that mm-hmm. one uh also of course we, we we kind of we have the social media pages so we have uh time bomb comics there's a a, a, a facebook uh, group and page um some of the titles have their own sub pages as well so there's a flintlock uh, page there's a dick turpin page um i'm i'm personally on uh, instagram um there is a, a time bomb twitter feed as well um so if people kind of want to find us uh online i think we're quite easy to find just type in time bomb comics into the search engine and uh, we, we'll come up pretty quickly i think yeah probably um on there on the top ranking, definitely of uh, of Google. Uh, now I'm out of interest. Where did the the name Time Bomb come from? Oh, that's a good question. This is um, it goes back to our very first because uh, when I first got uh, the first book I, I put out was um, a 24 page black and white one shot um, mm. called Black Muffins, and um, this is this is back in 2007. And um, that was the story about that was about a group of people who um, who repair time when time breaks down. Um, so that was where the time part came from. And, and obviously, because it was my first um, first time I'd ever kind of released something into the wider world uh, mm. that I'd kind of put together myself, uh, published myself. I really wasn't sure how it would um, how it would be received, whether it would um, whether it would su- succeed or whether it would bomb. So that's where time. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's and, brilliant! And the, the the logo itself actually it always references the um, when we when we actually started because um, the B, the O in bomb is is done like a stylized a kind of time a fused bomb with with a clock face on, and yeah. the hands of the clock face. If you look at the hands of the clock face, they actually point to. Um, um, 10 uh 2007 so if you if you look at look at the ah. start the first release came in, in october 2007 and that's always reflected in in the hands of the um of the clock on the, on the nice. time i love details like that i mean it's <laughs> it's so good and and only comics people would would do those sorts of details as well <laughs> <laughs> so all credit to you there steve fantastic <laughs> uh, now um all of that aside i do unfortunately have some bad news for you steve um and that is that there's actually been a super intelligent ape uprising um now we don't know if this has got anything to do with covid19 or anything like that it may have it might not um but there has been uh, this super intelligent ape uprising from some sort of research lab um and uh, my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival so um yeah i think that's a good question i think what i need to do is is look at my own kind of experience uh with with the monkeys um both inside and outside of, of comics um i know for example and you probably know as well that that um comic featuring um gorillas on the front have always been incredibly popular um you see in the 1960s regularly used to put a a gorilla on the front of comics of the comics they would produce because it would um cause a sales spike so obviously you know gorillas sell monkeys on the front of comics sell but of course if they're super intelligent um apes they would also be able to read 
and as far as I know, there isn't yet, has yet cornered the market for um, monkeys on the front of comics aimed at monkeys. So I think my, my, mm-hmm. my strategy would be to, to develop a, a kind of a boutique uh, publishing house um, for um, primates. Um, you know, you could have kind of primate superheroes. You could have um, horror, horror comics uh, featuring um, gorillas uh, being terrorized by uh, humans. Um, you could have a um, a story about a, this giant human that kind of climbs up a building. Maybe you could call it Kong King or something. Um, <laughs> so it, it aimed at it aimed at you know that that kind of kind of market. And I think I think they would respond to it. I don't know how much they would um, they would they what they would think of variant covers. Um, they may well just um, wipe their ass on them. But then don't we all? <laughs> that is fantastic. I love that idea of kind of ingratiating yourself into this new uh, super intelligent ape society and becoming their publisher. <laughs> <laughs> so i guess the question is, is is what would this publishing house be called what would it be called it would be called um i think it'd have to be a riff on 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 uh, i mean i think gorilla comics was already been taken uh, i yeah. think um, apex i think that's been taken as well oh, um, no, of course it has that would have yeah. been great though <laughs> <laughs> um i know there's definitely an orangutan comics out there um yeah. so um you know, you, you might just want to, I don't know, you, you, you need to go something, maybe something a bit deeper. I mean, um, uh, Rhesus, Rhesus comics, perhaps. Um, yeah, something like that. Um, or just primate comics, I don't know. Yeah, uh, mandrill. So mandrill yeah. comics. Yeah, that, that, you know, there's... Sorry, there, there's that, that could work. They're in there, yes. Definitely. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, now, um, what they do is that in in the process of sat- setting up this publishing company, you've pitched it to to the leaders of the of the super intelligent ape um, uprising, and uh, they they want to find a bit more about you during this interview process. Right. And they 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 ask you the first question that they ask is, "What's the first comic you remember enjoying?" Oh, that would be. Um, I'm going to go back to the um, the seventies because I'm old and um, <laughs> it's going to be um, Battle Picture Weekly, uh, which came out, I think, in uh, 1975. Um, that's the first one. I think that's the one I would kind of go for. Um, and the reason I would go for that, because although I, I, I um, read comics before then, I think, the, I mean, the first comic I, I remember uh, being bought for me regularly was a was a comic called um, Little Star um in in the in the late 60s um but battle was the first time i'd actually first of all it's first comic i'd seen advertised on tv when the first mm. issue came out and ah. it's a really kind of short advert about 30 seconds but i'd never seen a comic advertised on tv before but I'd also love to see just, that advert <laughs> you, you, can, you, can, you can search it on youtube it's on youtube it's really, really? short yeah it's really right. short and it's quite grainy but it, it, it is it, it, it's there and um it was the first time I, I actually got genuinely excited about it. And I remember asking if I could be bought that. So I think that was the, fir- the first time I actually wanted wanted a comic for myself that I chose rather than something that had been chosen for me by, by, a, by a relative. 
Um, and um, it was very different to any of the other comics I, I'd been reading beforehand. I think I used to read things, read things like Looking and some of the humor titles, that kind of stuff. But um, this was the first kind of, I mean, it felt very grown up at the time. Um, mm. uh, but then you know, I, I was quite small. But um, some some of the stories in there, even kind of today, I kind of, you know, think back and I can remember quite clearly. Um, you know, there was, there was a great story called, called D-Day Dawson about um, a, um, a British soldier who was on the D-Day landings and he was shot, he survived, but the bullet was right next to his heart and he was going to drop dead at any minute. So from that point on, he would do all these kind of gung-ho missions because he almost, he almost had a bit of a death wish. He knew he was going to die anyway, so he wow. might as well go out in a, in a, in a blaze of glory. Um, um, so there was stuff like that in there which 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 was great but there was also a story in there which was called um the terror of the bamboo curtain um and i i remember that one really kind of uh, you know some images from that now that was basically about again a a, a british prisoner of war who was in in a in a i think i think it was i think it was a burmese um prison camp which was run by the japanese um and the, the 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 Japanese commandant was a guy with a great name of Sado. Yeah. Um, and they probably wouldn't really do that comic today because the way they presented the, the, the commandant was that very kind of stereotypical kind of representation of Japanese people that you'd see in the sixties and seventies, kind of that, that kind of book tooth kind of, with, with glass, that kind of thing. So, right. you know, but the actual story itself was really quite powerful. Um, and there was a there was a there was a sequence in there where um, someone f- falls into quicksand, and and the final image was this this hand kind of reaching out from this pool of a pool of sand, um, just trying to grab for anything. But obviously, the guy was dead, and it was such a kind of you know at the time, such a strong image and quite quite disturbing. Um, so that's one of the things I really remember from Battle, and I, I read Battle for for a couple of years and i think um battle led me on to then to things like action and then 2000 ad because it was all from that same kind of um ipc fleetway stable right i see um yeah i mean i i I would have loved to have kind of grown up in that era where where comics were kind of like that because of course you had commando as well and things wasn't there um but uh yeah if, if you don't mind me asking how old were you around this time well, I, I must have been about seven, seven or eight. Because oh, um, I, I mean, I was born in in sixty seven. Um, right. I'm sure. I'm sure Battle came came out in nineteen seventy five. Mm. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so it would have been. I would have been about seven or eight then. Right, about then. And then was it a case of just going down your local newsagents, or was there a local comic book shop, or? Oh no, we didn't have comic shops then. This this was no. This was. I mean, I think they had a couple in yeah. London. But yeah. Obviously, uh, you know. So this was, I mean, I grew up in kind of South Wales, so it was right, um, yeah. <laughs> so maybe know, not. Just, yeah, near near Cardiff, so they didn't have yeah. kind of comic shops then. Um, so it was very much the, the news agent was the only place where you would you would get comics from. Um, but you know, at the time, as you, you know, there were, there were like dozens, dozens and dozens of kind of comics, um, yeah. uh, you know, weekly comics, and you'd only I'd only ever encounter uh, American comics when I went to um, on holiday to the seaside, for some reason, seaside resorts 
they had American comics in, mm. in, in the news agents, but you'd never see them or uh, in any of the news agents where I, where, I, where I lived when I was on holiday. So for, for many years, I associated American comics with, you know, school holidays and going to the seaside and going to the beach because that's the only time I encountered them. How funny is that? Um, and so uh, when did you get into creating your own stories? Oh, well, that would have been that would have been in the um, in the in the 80s, um, because um, I think, you know, I mean, I, when I, in the 80s, it was a really kind of vibrant time for, for, for comics, because mm. it was a time where lots of things were suddenly starting to happen um, and things that now we kind of take for granted. Um, were, were all new so this was the time of things like um the dark knight um yeah. you know but by frat miller watchman warrior all those kind of things and suddenly there was this kind of sense that comics were kind of not just this kind of ghettoized backwater but something which were actually a bit exciting that you know they were getting to the point where they were becoming almost a bit cool and a bit trendy yeah. but of course at the same time you had all these kind of um great new creators coming and i think that you know the, 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 for me the big difference was someone like alan moore who mm-hmm. kind of um for the first time it was it was there was a, a a comics writer being regarded in the same high esteem that the comics artist was i mean until that point it's very much all about the comics artist in comics and yeah. suddenly it was like you know the writer was help because of uh, uh, alan moore was shipped with kind of demonstrating through the work he was producing what was actually possible in the medium um, mm. and, and reinventing things. So that kind of really all that kind of got me into thinking, oh, this is this is good. This is something which um, I'm interested in. And because I'm in reading comics, then I started kind of um, discovering fanzines and strip scenes and then started kind of making contacts that way um, and doing some little comics and little comic scripts. Um, scripts for for little fanzines um and you know they, they, they were awful the, the stories i did were, they were dreadful you know because obviously I, I would have i would have only been in, in you know in my in my early teens um but it was it was that stepping point it was that kind of period which where i could kind of learn the skill and kind of get used to doing it and finding that it was something that i really enjoyed um so that's where the kind of creation part came from and and it culminated for me back then in in, in um 90, 92 91 where i started getting my first professional sales and on the minute you, you have your, your first professional sale you kind of think okay mm. yeah I, I can do this now um because someone else is put, having faith in what you're doing they're paying you for what you've done um and i think that was that was the, the point i thought actually yeah this, this is good I, I, I could do this um and that was that was really all the start of my kind of creative side with comics but um it was what it was this, it was a kind of unusual time really because you know just as this started happening um i said i had a, a story published in crisis which was a monthly being published by um fleetway um at the time and then i had um had a, a, a comic published um in the states which was published through Atomica, which was a, uh, a UK arm uh, of, of a company owned by Kevin Eastman, who Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. Um, so I had that. Um, and then suddenly lots of people were kind of starting to kind of make, you know, making inroads 
in, into comics. Um, people like Warren Ellis and people like that was, was starting to kind of start to kind of um, get work out there. Um, mm. But then in, in, in like in the non-comics world, I, I kind of I was at a kind of uh, a point where I had to make a decision between pursuing my at the time my day job which was um, I, I was working as a, as a civil servant uh, or just sticking with just doing the comics. Mm. Um, and this would have been back in, this would have been in um, the late eighties, early, yeah. Uh, early nineties, like right. 1990. Um, and I, and I, I made a decision to, to kind of, I had the opportunity to basically to go abroad um, and work abroad. So I decided to work abroad. So, and just after I'd done that, about six months after that, I think the whole comics implosion happened. So suddenly loads of stuff was kind of being cancelled. You know, there, there'd been this, right. this huge kind of outflow of, of work and the mm. plethora of titles coming out. And then suddenly it all collapsed. Um, so in retrospect, I thought I, I thought I did. I, I did. Done, I'd done the right thing. Um, but that pretty much meant that from the 90s onwards, I I did very very little thing very little creative work myself for for a good number of years probably really until until 2006 when um when I, I kind of started putting things into place for Time Bomb and that only came because I I went to um uh, I went to a comics convention that was in Birmingham um, and it had been the first convention I'd been to for for years. I mean, right. in the in, it, it, it's strange now in, in in this climate where you know there seems to be a, a convention every week, sometimes two a week, in in pretty much every weekend of the year, apart from Christmas. Um, but back then, you know, in the eighties and, and the early nineties, there was just one. It was yeah. an annual kind of event in London, the UK Comic Art Convention, and I and I, and I used to religi- religiously go to that year after year because right. that was the only to- only only one you would do. Um, but then they kind of stopped in the um, early 90s. So I hadn't done a convention since since that point. So I went to um, um, a convention that was run in Birmingham, which is called the Birmingham International Comic Show, I think it was called. Uh, right. It's a place called the Custard Factory. Um, mm. And it was the first time I've been to for such a long time. But when I went there, um, there was all these guys who were kind of set, do who produced their own comics but they just looked brilliant, you know. It, it was it, because they just the production values and everything. It, they just look, look like, you know, they could be sitting alongside, you know, the latest Marvel, DC, or indie book. Because again, back in the back in the um, the eighties, nineties, it was very clear if something was uh, effectively self-published or not. Yeah, because it was it just, all it was a copy just, machine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, yeah, you, you know, they they would they would they would reek of passion and and kind of like yeah. copying ink, um, but that and that was the tipping point. And I thought, and I, I just ended up buying all these loads of these kind of kind of comics that I saw at this show, all these kind of self-produced British indie comics, and came and coming away with a kind of almost like a, this a determination that. I was going to go back to that show one year later and be at the other side of the table with a comic. And that's what I did. So, so um, that's really where it all kind of, kind of started from me. Really. And I mean, going from strength to strength since. Well, I, I've always kind of seen it as a, as a marathon rather than a sprint. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's that's been it been it been a key part of it. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's slowly building something up, and I think that's that's the key part. It, it was always I always had kind of like I think realistic expectations of what I could achieve, but I knew that there would be some years of bitter struggle, um, and because because it's very rare you get an overnight success. Um, and to me, though, it's it, it's initially it was about um doing doing comics in a way that i would would i as a reader would respond to as well mm-hmm. um so so right from the start the whole kind of idea of releasing stuff which was done in one self-contained one shots that was a key part of the strategy for so many years with time bomb it was only mm-hmm. with flintlock when flintlock appeared in in um in 2017 that um the the whole idea of doing an issue two kind of was raised because until that point i've never done a number two of anything um but um and again that that was thinking about what would work what doesn't work um because i i wanted the idea that someone could pick up a comic and read it and that would be that they would get what they needed they would get a beginning the middle and end in that comic or in that book um it also meant of course i was thinking about things like if it's a one shot, it effectively never goes out of date yeah. because if you have a continued series, even if it's a mini series, the moment number two comes out, number one is a back issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a one shot, it's not, it's kind of almost, it's always kind of current. Um, so to, to me, that seemed a sensible kind of a strategy to adopt initially, because it would mean that I would have, um, a, you know, a titles that, I could, you know, offer for sale for more than just maybe a few months or, or or a year until the next one came out. Because as with anything, the moment you release the second, sales kind of drop off from the first, and people then switch to the second. Um, so it, it, it was it was it was thinking on those lines really, and it was trying to do things which I thought well, which I liked as a reader, um, and kind of fingers crossed that other people would like them as readers as well. So um, that was the whole thinking behind Time Bomb initially, and also with a sense that uh, having a platform to um, put my work out there, but also have a platform which could be used to put other creators' work out there. Um, so it, it was it was it was never the intention for it to be just the Steve Tanner show. Um, mm. It would always be you know it started with with with, with stuff that I I done myself. But then it was bringing in other other writers and artists and showcasing their work if I could. Um, and and over the years, that's kind of like it's been a bit like a pendulum because initially it, it was the I think the first three three releases I, I I'd done were, were all written by me, and then it slowly started then bringing in other kind of creators and then um, the pendulum then from around about 2010, I think. I was publishing only publishing work by other creators with nothing by myself. And it was only then Flintlock, uh, when Flintlock came out, that then the pendulum kind of ended up in the middle where it is what it is now, where the the, the, the stuff I'm putting out is a combination of, of both my work um, and, and other creators' work. And going forward, that'll, that'll be what I'll, I'm hoping to continue to do. But with, with perhaps one third of the books being by me and then 
two thirds of the books being by other people as, as, as the the releases schedule going forward. So that's 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 where we are at the moment with the strategy. And one of the nice things about comics, anyway, is that unlike many other kind of publishing kind of uh, sectors, self-publishing in comics is, is an aspirational thing. It, mm. it, it's it's something of value, you know. Um, there's so much snobbery about self-publishing, for example, in the traditional kind of um, you know, novel yeah. world. Yeah, there really is. It, 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 mm. it, it's, a, it's a nonsense. But it's always been seen as, as something that, yeah, you can do that, and that's valid. And that's one of the nice things about comics as well, that you can actually put your work out there, and, and it, it's not dismissed because you put your work out there. Um, the, the, you know, it will be dismissed entirely on the merit of how it works as a, a, a you know as a comic which is as it should yeah. be yeah absolutely um it does it does seem to be that way um and uh it is interesting even just like the slight difference of like you know novels and comics that there is still that snobbery um although i think it's it's slightly changing with things like uh the kindle and things like that because a lot of people are starting to self-publish but there is definitely still that kind of i don't know kind of those with uh their nose upturned at you know this newfangled technology and things and the fact that you know people are just writing at home and then putting it out through amazon and things like that um just on their tod but uh no yeah i mean it seems like it's always been there in comics kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about people just you know going to a, a copy machine and then stapling it together and then people presenting it at comic cons and then you know uh uh comic um collectors would come around and go you did this yourself this is great that sort of thing yeah yeah, I think that's right, and I think that goes back to people like Will Eisner, you know, who 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 who's such a respected figure in 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 comics. But mm. um, you know, he he kind of invented the graphic novel um, with with the contract with God, and mm. um, he effectively self published it, you know. And this this was awesome. you know so, and and people like you know Dave Sim, who. You know, despite what you you know, his politics aside, um, mm. what he actually achieved with Cerebus was was, was is a remarkable thing, really, uh, and it became um, the benchmark for uh, you know, what you could do through self-publishing. Um, and I, so I think there's always there's, there's been that acceptance, I think. We, we, mm. we to do that in comics which i think is great um i think it's one of those things at the same time it it, it means that um and i think things like kindle and things like web comics all that kind of thing and and how digital printing makes it so much more affordable these days i think is a great yeah. thing it brings it, it gives the opportunity for so many people um if they want to to kind of produce something and get their work out there i think at the flip side it means that you know, you 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 need to have a fair bit of um, confidence in what you're producing, because it's great that anyone can can produce a comic and publish it. But one of the drawbacks is that anyone can produce a comic and publish it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, just go it, onto YouTube it, and like it, people. Any, yeah, if it, everybody can create it, there's going to be the good and the bad and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So so it's a double edged sword. But I think what's the nice thing about, you know, how things are um, in over the past couple of years is something which I've seen myself. Um, and I think it's something which you see more at 
the um, conventions that are more like the pop culture events rather than the, the mm-hmm. traditional comic cons is that the audience, they don't really care if it's published by Marvel, DC or, or somebody in their bedroom. Um, yeah. all, they, all they're interested in is if it kind of resonate, resonates with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like, you know, the MCM shows, um, which, which are kind of, you know, over the years, people have been really kind of harsh about them that they are that they're just selling Funko Pops and all that kind of stuff. But the the crowd at an event like that, they pick up the comics that are there purely on if they if they want to read them, and and it's so it's a great leveler in that in that regard. So you 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 have situations where you know these kind of shows where you have someone that's effectively a big name, um, sat next to some but some kind of. Uh, someone who was their first time doing a con and and they're still at school um, and they've just produced their first book. And that newbie is actually doing a much better trade than the, um, than the, than the old hand simply yeah. because what, what <laughs> they produce appeals more to that audience. And I think that's a lovely thing to see. Um, mm. And, you know, that's how it should be. It shouldn't be dictated in, in, in terms of, you know, who publishes you and, you know, um, it, it should really just always come down to if you like the look of the book and, and if the and if and if the read satisfies you, that's what it should always come down to. Um, so I think it, it, in some ways it, it's, a, it's a great level, really. And I think that's one of the nice things about it. That's fantastic, Steve. Um, now, um, our uh, your super intelligent ape interviewers uh, move on to their second question. Uh, and that is what is the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Oh, this this is an e- this is an easy one. This is Oink. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Oink. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's come up a few times. <laughs> yeah, um, and again, this was this was published in the late eighties, um, and it was it came out at the same time that Viz was becoming a, a you know a big cult kind of a comic. Um, Viz, Viz was starting to sell a million plus per per issue, but of course that was aimed. At, um, at the over 18s so the idea with oink was was a more kind of like kind of traditional kind of humor comic um ostensibly for children but um with with a little bit more anarchic in in, in its style and content so almost like a a um a, um, a bridge between something like buster and something like viz um so that was definitely the, the kind of the funniest comic that I remember reading. Um, was there any particular strip that stood out to you? I mean, the thing is, it was, it was a really interesting kind of comic because it was, it was each each issue had a, had a theme. So, so it was a weekly, and each one had a different theme. So, in terms of like the regular strips, it didn't have really too many regular strips. It had a lot of kind of um, kind of one-offs and homage kind of strips, mm-hmm. um, which would tie into that issue's kind of theme um but there there was but it was just i don't know it, it it became it was just a bizarre kind of comic really because it was for children but if you read it it wasn't really it was almost like you had to be a little bit older to get all the jokes um yeah. and there was there were some things like i mean there, there's an artist called jeremy banks and he did a a, a a strip in there called mr big nose um and it's the most surreal thing it is, you know, I, and I think, you know, someone who was 11 or 12, it would just completely baffle them, I think. Um, but 
I think if you were in your mid to late teens and a bit older, you would find it hilarious. And I found it hilarious. Um, and I think as well, one of the kind of the strengths of Oink was, was in the, the homages that you see in the satires. So, and because it was, you know, it was called Oink, it was, you know, the editor was Uncle Pig, who was this kind of pig figure with a, with an editor's hat on. And um, he had, uh, his assistants were were the props who were basically turds. Um, so it was all it was all kind of kind of uh, all very strange, really. But it caused a bit of a fuss because it was it was mentioned in Parliament as being kind of you know um, not the sort of thing that children should read. W. H. Smith had a major problem with it um, and ended up putting it on their top shelf alongside Viz and and you know. The, the, you know, the top shelf magazines rather than down in, in the um the children's comic section um because they found some of the um some of the strips in there not suitable for children but uh-huh. um the thing is it was really suitable for children but i think a lot of children wouldn't have really understood it so i think i, I mean i know I was, I was like um older than the target market for reading it myself but i mm. just used to find it hilarious i, I just found it really really clever really smart and um you know, it was it was like nothing else that's ever that had ever been published um, in the UK for as a children's comic. And to be honest, I don't think anything since has has come close to it. It really is quite something quite special. That's incredible. And uh, kind of having researched it quite a few times, Oink, um, I believe it's it's actually where Charlie Brooker published one of his, some of his first stories as well. That's right. I don't know if you knew that. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, he, he he didn't have regular strips, but he always uh, submitted them like disgusting Des and uh, Clint Grit- Gritwood, the trigger happy cop. Apparently. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the things like Ham Dare was was a good one. Was you know, was basically it was, a, right. it was you know Dan Dare, but as a pig. Um, but it was all done in 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 the style of like the old Frank Hampson artwork, you know, from mm. Eagle. Um, so so it had that kind of you know it, it was it was very very clever um and there was there was one there was one sh- one strip and then they they all the dialogue is um um the smith's lyrics um, oh, right. and yeah <laughs> you know it's stuff like that which which is kind of like so clearly over the heads of of, of children yeah, um of but it, it it was just it was just really funny really really funny that's fantastic. Uh, now, switching gears, um, your your super intelligent ape overlords interviewing you um, ask, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? And now, uh, this is um, again, this is one which is. I'm going to pick um, one from actually the small press. It shows you the power of kind of indie, small press indie comics. Mm. Um, and this is like a it's, it's a it's from a horror anthology. I think it was published around about 2010, maybe 2009. So it's quite, it's quite a way back. Uh, it's called Damaged Goods. Um, and it's, it's all stories that are written by a guy called Rich McAuliffe and illustrated by uh, Mark Chilcott. Um, and, you know, it, it's, as anthologies go, it's kind of standard. It's black and white stories, um, all kind of twisting the tail kind of, ta- kind of stuff. But um, the very first strip on the very first first page of the story it's a one page strip so you know um and it it's it's the story of it's you read the story i think it's nine panels it's just nine panels long 
Um, and as you read it, you what you kind of get a sense of that the guy that you're seeing in the um, in, in the images, he realizes that he's in a comic strip. At the same time, you also then find out that um, if you turn the page to go on to page two, he is going to die horribly. So he he is as 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 you're working your way through those nine panels, he ends up begging to you not to turn the page. And the final panel is him, you know, he is absolutely begging you not to turn the page because if you turn the page, he you 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 you've killed him. He's dead. Um, and that's the story. And it's, I mean, I I I think it's one of the the best examples of how you can use comics, the medium to tell a story that's unique and you couldn't you couldn't tell a story like that using any other medium it just wouldn't work because it relies on that final panel where the mm. reader is, is effectively part of that story and by the reader turning the page the Karen reading the rest of the book um he you know he kind of closes the story off um so it it's it was i mean reading it i remember reading it at the time I, I, it blew me away because I thought it was just so clever. And to, to me, it was so much more accomplished than so many other things I'd ever seen. And yet it was published as a small little indie anthology comic, which I imagine not many people have actually seen. Um, mm. But I think, but the whole kind of thing as you're reading it, that you, the way that you, you effectively become part of that story Um and it, so it, it, it was it is genuinely unsettling. It, it, it's really, really cleverly done. Um, yeah. So it's worth kind of um, searching out if, if you can if you can find it, because it is, I mean, it's just that first, the other stories that come afterwards, they're, they're not bad either. But the that first story, that's the killer one. It really is. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, a, you know, something to um, definitely unsettling that one. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, it's just it's so great to see when somebody really understands how comics work and how they're read and, you know, use that how they are read in order to kind of um, elevate how the story is interpreted by the reader. Um, it just yeah. kind of shows you how how much mastery that those authors have got. Yeah. Yeah. And to do it all in just that one page as well you know yeah um that's cool if you can tell it if you can tell a really kind of great story on one page then you know you, all power to you yeah definitely 100 <laughs> percent, fantastic uh now uh shifting emotions again uh we move on to what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read well this is, this is a difficult one really i think because um horror is something you don't genuine horror is something you don't really encounter in comics, I think. Um, I think, I mean, there was, you know, you know, the thing that initially comes to mind is something like Charlie's War, uh, which by Pat Mills, which is in Battle, of course, which we talked about already, simply mm. because it's the horrors of World War Two, which are real world horrors. But the actual, the comic I remember actually being genuinely kind of horrified by, in sense of, oh my god, I can't believe I'm looking at that is it'll be the work of um s clay wilson who um who had um strips in a um uh an american uh, underground comic called zap comics um i remember kind of encountering these in in the 80s i think and i'd never seen anything like it because 
the art and the content was just so brutal, so nasty. Um, I, I've never seen anything kind of represented in a comic like that or mm-hmm. anywhere else, to be honest. Um, it just seemed it was so kind of extreme, um, so kind of over the top. But at the same time, the de- the level of detail and, you know, there was almost like that kind of um, rubber necking fascinate fascination with looking at it you know um but it was just it was just awful i mean and you know for many years you know he he was only published in the underground comics because no one else would touch him because his work was so extreme and it's only then in you know um as as time has passed that he became recognized as as a as a um as as a great creator in his own right and i think he ended up having art books published that kind of stuff but um seeing those seeing those pages in zap and just being oh my goodness because it just it was just so so horrible i mean it's difficult to describe them because they were so horrible so you know um (sighs) and i think i can't i don't think i can be describing because i don't think you know i can describe it in a way that would i couldn't be sent censored you know you need you have to kind of see them to believe them but they were so extreme so over the top and because of that actually quite horrible I think it would be that one, definitely S. Clay Wilson. Awesome. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one before. Um, so, yeah, I was interested to kind of look at that. I'll have to um, add that to my reading list and kind of take it, take a closer look. Be warned, though. They're nasty. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> nasty. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, it's the underground scene for you, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, now, uh, we come on to one of my favourite questions, and that is, what is your favourite cover? wow well the covers are, i mean the one of the things about comics has always been the covers the covers of you know um for years they've been used to really sell the comics there's many a time i think where you've seen a comic cover you've bought it and then the insides have, haven't been as great as the cover promised or or that thing which they tended to do a lot with the um i think the superhero comics where the scene that you're looking at on the front doesn't actually appear in the comic itself um and there's been some great there were great covers that were produced in the 60s some of the dc covers in the 1960s were, were, were great in how bizarre they were um you know where you got the um, the rainbow batman batman and all that kind of stuff um but i think as well a cover really is an opportunity to kind of uh showcase some terrific artwork um some of, and some of so some of my favorite covers in in over the over the, over the years especially in recent years has been covers which you know are all about really the cover art you know mm. it's one of my favorite kind of uh, cover artists for someone like alex ross i think he, he's he, i love alex ross's work um i think ad granoff is another one who does great co- covers um uh, to be honest, I mean, you know, and I'll shout out to, to something I put out was the um, Staz Johnson's cover for the first issue of Brawler um, that came right, out last year. Yeah. But I right. mean, that was a great cover, you know. Um, but in terms of like personal kind of favourites, the one I'm going to go for is um, is the is a variant cover for um, Batgirl 25, which came out. Mm. I think it came out last year, maybe in the year before. But it's a painted cover by uh, Josh Middleton and it's just a portrait of um of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl and um it's just a lovely lovely piece of art it is a beautiful image it is it's 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 there's no it's not an action cover it's just a close-up portrait um and 
it, it's beautiful. It really is. And um, I, I don't normally do the variant cover things. I, I tend to avoid it. Um, but I saw that that cover advertised and um, I thought, oh, I need to get that because it, it just blew me away. So I've got the I've got the comic. Um, I ordered it just for the cover. I mm. haven't read the comic because I've just kept it in its in its um, in its bag. And I, but I, I put it on the wall. So um, so it's there kind, kind of to be looked at and admired because i think it's just a lovely lovely rendition of um barbara gordon um she just looks like um how you would expect batgirl to look as a you know as a a superhero in her late teens it, it, it's yeah. beautiful there's no kind of um there's no kind of sexuality to it uh yeah, it's, so. it's it's you know it's it's not ridiculously proportioned um it is just an absolutely fabulous work of art um so that's the one i'm going to go for simply because it's there in my uh, home office um and I, I see it every day and i think it's a lovely lovely piece fantastic and yeah she's got a really pe- piercing look doesn't she <laughs> yeah well a very yeah. loving look as well yeah yeah really, it, it's just it? it's just really it, it's very realistic you know yeah. um not caring you know, actually is maybe the word for it like a caring look yeah yeah and and the the fact that she's she's wearing a um a, um you know the, the, the mask is almost incidental it's yeah. just a really lovely portrait of, of, a, of, a, of a teenage girl it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's really hard to believe that it's painted it's just that it looks incredibly realistic <laughs> yeah i know i know it really is nice um and um, so, so yeah, but but I think that's the thing. Some of you know the, the the guys that do the covers and comic artists, they they are masters. And I kind of sometimes I think, especially with sometimes with like the superhero comics, you kind of think they just you know the superhero kind of stuff. But but a lot of these guys, they they accomplish artists on so many levels. Um, and then to give them the opportunity to do something which is not just that traditional kind of wham bam um, mm-hmm. superhero kind of pose. I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I, I guess I got a sense that, that Josh Middleton really enjoyed painting that. Oh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a real masterclass as well, because um, I mean, for a start, I mean, the hand is in pride of place as well. Like you can, I mean, hands are incredibly difficult, full stop. And like yeah. to get the proportions and particularly with gloves on as well, because obviously you've got to put the uh, the creases in the knuckles of the fingers as well. Mm. And obviously he's done that masterful, masterfully. Um, and also kind of in the, the, the creases of the actual, where the palm is as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's incredible when, when artists do something like this and, you know, at first glance you think, okay, yeah, that's nice. But um, yeah, is it, is it that difficult? But then like, you know, you look at those details and like you look at the hand and it's incredibly lifelike and then the ear as well which sounds yeah you know somewhat crazy is is incredibly lifelike kind of with the slight imperfections of kind of the the roundness of the ear you know it's not a perfectly round ear it's kind of like a normal ear (laughs) where it's kind of got you know it's got flat bits it's got round bits it's got angled bits and and all sorts and no it's it's an incredible piece of art and it it kind of it bewilders me that there are still you know um artists um, like fine artists that are out there that just still aren't bored with, you know, comics being actual art, you know, yeah. it's just it yeah. beggars belief. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, but um, 
I don't know. I think I think one of the nice things over recent years um, is is the fact that painted painted covers um, are becoming quite commonplace now. Um, but I think I, I, but there's some really good ones and, and some not so good ones. Um, but I yeah. think it really kind of um, shows an artist's skill. I think, um, and I think it's nice for, for for an artist to be able to do something which is just a single image rather mm-hmm. than maybe perhaps having to think too much about um, storytelling and panel by panel composition as well, just to kind of do something which um, is quite enriched. Um, and I, so I think, so again, you know, I think that's why some of the, um, the Alex Ross stuff works so well because it's, it, it, it's in, it's in isolation. Um, and I know someone like Alex Ross has done interior stuff. Cause he did, you know, he did the Marvels and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I think his, his, his actual, covers is actual standalone images on the covers are always much much more engaging than his interior painted pages um and i think i think there's some artists they 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 are just great cover artists i think um depending on what subject matter they get i think ryan brown can do some really nice stuff um depending on on on, on what it is um but it, a cover is all is always about um encouraging someone to buy to buy the book and so even though with with, with that with that batgirl 25 cover i i bought it it, it worked i bought the book I'm, i didn't read it because i didn't want to read the book but yeah. i um um i i just want i bought it for the cover so i, I on that level it works as well um I, I find some varying covers awful i, sure. I, I don't get yeah and I, I genuinely don't get why people buy them um, yeah. so there's some areas that they seem like the, the, the worst of the options to get. <laughs> um, I, I really, really don't it's understand. It's funny, isn't it? I guess it's it's just different strokes for different folks and, yeah, and things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it, it can be confusing at times. It's like, really? But, you know, if that's what floats your boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Fascinating. Um, but uh, no, yeah, that 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 um, cover, and for anybody that wants to to look at it at home, it's it's Batgirl issue twenty five, um, and the, the the artist was uh, Joshua Middleton. So definitely um, Google that and have a look at it. It's an absolutely beautiful cover and a great choice, Steve. Fantastic. So uh, moving on uh, to our next question, and that is, uh, what is the most meaningful comic to you? The most meaningful, um, let me think, I think it's going to be, and this is probably going to be a, um, a, a cliche in a way, um, mm. but I think it's going to be Watchmen um, because um, Watchmen was the comic which I, I think it kind of, I said, I, I, I mean, I, I first encountered Watchmen as it was being published in the 80s, so month by month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it was really was something which set the bar, um, and it it kind of changed how comics were viewed, um, yeah. both by people who were already into comics and people from the outside. But I think it had it also meaningful because it had such a kind of um, knock on effect after that point. So um, a lot of the stuff now that I guess we take for granted in in the way superhero comics work in that kind of um, kind of filmic kind of quality, the way they're laid out 
um, that kind of trying to kind of have a notion of reality to them. That all springs from Watchmen. Um, and I think that that was to me, I think that's that's the most meaningful comic that I can think of that um, for, for on so many levels made a huge difference to how comics are, are both seen, read mm-hmm. um, and also created in the first place. Definitely. And do you, do you remember where you first came across it? Oh, it would have been, um, it would have been, a, I mean, this would have been 87. So yeah. um, by that time I'd, um, you know, I had, I had discovered that Cardiff did have a comic shop and right. um, I, um, I, I'd had a regular standing order. So um, it was something which when it first came out, I remember kind of asking to have a, have a standing order um, and then yeah, reading it as it came out. Yeah. Um, oh, that's fantastic and, to have been there at the time when it was coming out, you know, on a monthly basis. Well, well, that's it. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was like, it was like nothing else. It really wasn't. Yeah, um, because, because he, you know, Alan Moore had done, you know, his Swamp Thing, he'd been doing Swamp Thing and he'd done a couple of other, um, I think DC kind of self-contained stories, I think. But, because um, of, of course, originally it was going to be all about, the Charlton heroes, which DC had acquired from yeah. from the, the Charlton stable, and the only reason it ended up being Watchmen because his the the proposal for the story effectively DC felt it would have they wouldn't be able to use the Charlton characters ever again, um, so they asked him to kind of um, rework the story but with brand new characters. So so Alan and Dave Gibbons they kind of that's that's where they you know rejigged the characters so. To the, to the the originals, even though you could see kind of the analogy. So you know, um, yeah. Captain Atom was Doctor Manhattan and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, but I mean, and, and it's interesting really because if um, if DC had actually said, yeah, okay, we'll publish it using the using the Charlton characters, what would have what how would things have ultimately transpired? Because one yeah. of the things that that Alan, you know, Alan Moore stopped working for DC and pretty much because they they wouldn't kind of um because they were still publishing Watchmen because mm-hmm. he felt that kind of proprietary ownership of Watchmen. But of course, if he did, if they'd actually used the Charlton characters, um, neither neither Alan or Dave would have had any ownership of those characters anyway. Okay. So, uh, I mean, you know, in, in how things would have to how differently things could have turned out. If, um, yeah, and I wonder how readers would have perceived that as well, because obviously there was, there's a back catalogue of those characters as well. So, yeah. you know, you'd have to kind of, you know, in the story actually neutralise all of that, like all, all of the back catalogue, um, but all the backstory to all of those characters um, somewhat, or you'd have to like lean on it and things within the story rather than, you know, having your own origin stories and, and things like that. Mm. Yeah, but I think I think the thing is with comics as well that they're, they're always open for for kind of reinvention, always. Yeah. Yeah, so right. you know, it, it's kind of if you it, it would have come out if it would have been featuring the chart and characters, and it would have I'm sure it would have blown people away in exactly the same way. Um, mm. But a few years down the line, they would have used the characters again, yeah. um, and it would have diminished the story. They, 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 they would have done because I think yeah. I think look at this this recent. Um, I mean, in recent years, they they did. Um, was it before Watchmen? They did um, a few yeah, years ago. Like the, yeah, and, yeah, and they've recently was, yeah. done. Uh, they've this recently story. done the Doomsday Clock 
series yeah, as well, using the Watchmen. That uh, to me, that hasn't taken anything away from 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 the 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 power of those original twelve issues issues and that original mm. story. It hasn't, you know, I don't think it's added anything to it, but it hasn't taken anything away either because it still stands as a body working in the right. It still stands up. Um, and it's one of the few comics where I've got kind of multiple editions of it because I've also bought the 12 issues series and then right. Titan brought out a, a, the, the, the British version of the trade paperback, which, which I've got. Then it came out as an absolute edition. Um, which 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 I picked up as well, um, and then they also produced them a very kind of um, a very unusual kind of version of it. I don't think it sold sold particularly well, um, which which had um, the the twelve issues pr- produced as twelve original individual hardback volumes, so like almost in in in, in a slipcase. So right. I've got I've got I got that version as well. Um, the, the 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 my favorite one is still that original twelve issue run to be honest because you know you you as you as you as the months went by you you were kind of reading it and following it along and there was a real gap right towards the end because I think the last couple of issues there was a delay while mm. they were you know they, they were yeah so I think even though it was a, it was a monthly I think it took about eighteen months in the end to come out so waiting for those you know those final issue eleven issue twelve it seemed to take forever you know. But, um, no doubt, building up the suspense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but but at the same time, what was interesting when you know when you read the collected edition, because you're reading it in in one big go, there's a lot of kind of little connections that you then yeah. you make that you would ne- not necessarily have, have picked up on reading it over over a, an eighteen month period. Um, and I think when, when you start when you see it as a collected edition and you and you you read through it that way, you you can see how how it's I, I guess the architecture of it both from mm. from from um from artist and writer um it, it, it's quite it, to me it's still quite an astonishing piece of work um because they, they they were doing things in there which had never been done before and never been done since um um and, I, and yeah there's the, and there's a lot of start of the kind of like i think some of the the, the kind of techniques which Alan Moore used and he, he used again and again, which I think ultimately almost became a little bit cliched where yeah, sure. things were where he's cutting from one scene to the other and he's using a word which kind of connects both those scenes. Um, at the time in Watchmen, it was the first time this stuff was being done. Mm. So it, 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 it was very new, it was very original, very fresh. Um, and I think, I think there's, I think, the, the highlight episode, I think it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's called the fearful symmetry, where the whole, the whole book, the whole episode, um, is structured to be a parallel. Um, so if you open up the page on the center pages, you get yeah. almost like a double page spread. But then mm-hmm. if you look how the other panels are are aligned either side of the story, they're perfect opposites in terms of panel layout and composition. Um, and I guess that's something which, which is really effective as a single issue, because then you see it as a, as a, as, as all these, these, this kind of parallel effect. But when you're um, reading the, the, the trade, um, the collection, it's slightly less diminished, I think. Um, but it is, it's an astonishing piece of work. Yeah, it really is. And uh, rightly so, it's, uh, it's incredible. And you'll forever be kind of, you know, one of those things that's, kind of just 
uh, one of the most iconic pieces of literature um, throughout all of literature, like novels yeah. and, and comics and graphic novels combined, really. Um, and yeah. I think I think it, I think it's in the time top one hundred books of all time as well. I think yeah, it's I think the it's only the, graphic the, novel yeah, that's yeah. actually in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, amazing. Uh, now, uh, next question is: uh, What is the most underrated comic? Um, I'm going to go with um, Western Noir, which is produced by Accent UK. Um, and to be honest, any of Accent UK's books can be, can be included in this, I think, because yeah. I think one of the things about, you know, the, the, the British indie comic circuit is, I think, it's quite healthy. I think yeah. it's, it's the healthiest it's been for, for, for years and years and years. There's so much stuff that's being uh, put out, and a lot of it is really, really top quality stuff but it baffles me sometimes why some of that uh, top quality stuff it, it seems to regularly go under people's radars mm-hmm. and isn't isn't reviewed and isn't mentioned on podcasts and all that kind of stuff um and um so western noir by um by dave west and gary crutchley is one of those titles um it's it's um it's a it's a series of 16 and they're up to eight at the moment. Um, and it's about a, um, it's all set in, in the, in the, in the, in the wild west. So it's a cowboy story, but it's kind of a cowboy horror. So, um, there's a, there's a kind of, uh, a sheriff called Josiah Black and he, um, is given a pair of, uh, goggles, which allow him to see monsters, um, you know, monsters who are disguised as people but he when he looks through the glasses he sees them as monsters um and it is a really really top class um comic uh if it was if it was published by dark horse or image you know everyone would know about it um and and it it would it would have got um awards and all that kind of stuff but um for some reason it's it's it goes under the radar for most people and i don't really get get why to be honest um accent uk when when i was talking about the um when i went to that convention all those years ago that inspired me to do time bomb yeah accent uk was one of the guys that were there so they they they, they've been around for a while um and you know with each year they up their their bar raised ever so slightly ever every every year um and they're producing a, a range of really top quality stuff um and i really don't know why more people aren't kind of enamored with them because um i think the stuff they produce is just it's 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 it's, it's not just the, among the best um, of british indie comics it is amongst the best of comics full stop it's brilliant brilliant stuff um so yeah western noir is well worth um checking out if, if you have an opportunity to do so they're at most conventions uh most of the most of the kind of uh, regular conventions so we'll hunt them out but all the other stuff that they do is also really worth a look as well. There's some really, really interesting books there, really entertaining stuff um, and really good value as well. Really good value books they tend to do. So they tend to do these big kind of chunky kind of um, anthology books for, you know, just 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 a three or four pounds. They're, they're, they're excellent. Really is good. So check out Accent UK if you can. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, that's uh, Western Noir is uh, something I hadn't come across, but looking at it, it looks absolutely brilliant. Um, the 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 art is you know fantastic. It's black and white, of course, but with grey tones yeah. and and things like that. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, that looks fantastic. It's almost Charlie Adlard esque 
as well. Oh, it, it's it's wonderful. It really is, really, really, really is a nice piece of work. Fantastic. Uh, now we come on to uh, one of the most difficult questions, and that is for you. What is the best comic of all time? Now this is where I've got mixed up, haven't I? Because I've talked about Watchmen already. What did I originally pick? I, I think I've mixed up. What did I pick for meaningful? Oh right, yeah, yeah. So well, uh, it was I think it was mixed Spi- them up. That's quite all right. It was uh, it was Spider Man three eleven. Ah right, okay. You okay. had for meaningful. You can edit this around, can't um, you? Oh, well, don't worry too much about that. Um, that's <laughs> all right. We'll just we'll just go ahead. So uh, just just for the listeners, we're going to swap around. Watchmen being the uh, best comic of all time, uh, but also clearly a meaningful comic as well at the oh, same yeah, time, Steve. So don't worry yeah. about that. Um, but uh, why 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 is Spider Man three eleven meaningful to you? Um, it's 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 because it it was. I can identify it as the as the um, seed from which everything else grew in in terms of my relation to comics. Right. Um, Spider Man three one eleven. Um, it, it was one of the, it was the weekly part of the weekly Spider Man comic which had been going since nineteen seventy three, um, and it always featured part of the Marvel UK staple, which always featured kind of American reprints, obviously of the Spider Man title, and you know rotating backups, and then. Um, Marvel towards towards the late seventies, Marvel UK was starting to struggle, and um, they hired Des Skin to come in and kind of rejuvenate their their um, their business. Really, um, so we're looking at the monthlies, looking at the weeklies, and trying kind of spark some fresh interest in in their range. Um, and one of the things he did was um, relaunch. Um, the, the weeklies um, and at the time when you relaunched something you didn't renumber it from number one you just carried on from where it left off so it, it, rather than being you know Spider-Man comic number one it was Spider-Man 311 um, but it was a complete change of direction for the comic in terms of how it was presented um, it, it no longer had glossy covers which was traditional with the marvel uk titles mm. and um instead of having um i think two or three um serialized stories f- lifted straight from the american comics it had i think seven or eight um in 32 pages and you think how on earth can you get seven or eight stories in th- because what well, basically what they did they they kind of just chopped up the art um from the originals and kind of shrunk it down so um, really, when you look at it now, if you think it's almost a bit of a travesty what they did. But mm. what, it, what it meant was at the time, suddenly, you know, it would take you a good hour to read through the comic because there was so much kind of content in there. Yeah, the art was kind of smaller. Uh, so effectively, one, one page of, uh, 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 of, of the existing U.S. comic page was effectively shrunk down to a quarter of a page, um, and and that and they would edit panels as well, so they would all fit in. Um, but I remember seeing it uh, on the shelves, um, and it just looked really exciting. Um, and I was I would have been I think eleven at the time when I when when this came out, and um, it, it just blew me away. Really, um, I I just it, it just opened a complete floodgates of of of, of of an interest in comics. And I don't, I read comics until that point, as we've previously talked about, you mm. know, I read 2000 when that first came out, but until that point, until Spider-Man 311, 
I saw comics as disposable. Yeah, I'd read right. them, I'd enjoy them, but then I'd move on to something else. Um, for you know, Sp- Spider Man three one one, it just lit a fuse in me. That, it, that thankfully, um, you know, forty forty odd years later, uh, is still burning strong. Um, it got me into it. Got me excited about comics. It got me excited. It oh, initially, right. got me excited about Marvel comics. Yeah. Um, so you know, I then I, I then start buying all the. I, was, I think I was buying all the Marvel UK comics that they put out, no matter what it was, for a number of years after that. Um, but from that, I then discovered other comics. Um, from that, I discovered things like DC comics, and. And I discovered fanzines and all that kind of stuff. So everything I do now come all uh, and you know all that I know about comics, my enjoyment of comics, and and what I do creatively in comics can all be traced back to that moment when I bought um, Spider-Man issue three hundred and eleven. Fantastic! Um, do you still have it? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I still oh, have. Amazing! It, it, it's um it's battered and 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 well sure. read. Well, I, but I still have it, um, and um, you know, it, 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 and, and the thing is, I, I've, a few years ago when I was moving house, I, I uncovered it because one of the nightmare things about when you've been collecting comics for forty odd, forty five years, is the amount of comics you end up having. Um, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. So um, moving has always been a bit of a nightmare, and yeah. I remember <laughs> when I moved house. Uh, a couple of times, couple, couple of few years ago, I came across it, um, and I realised that they were in pencil on on the top. There's somebody's name, so it was actually someone. Someone had actually reserved the comic and then decided that they never. Oh, did. Right. So the only reason that I ended up picking it up because it was the only one that was on the shelf. Yeah. Um, so they obviously decided I, that I'm not interested in that anymore. So the news agent just put it up on the shelf, and I came along and, and I and I bought it. Um, so. Um, you know, it, it, it was actually someone else's, even though they never actually obviously, obviously read it. Um, but it's still got that little pencil mark on it. Um, but it, it was just it, it it was it was the one which kind of started everything off. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's 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 very, very it is meaningful. Really. Um, 100%. And it's a cool cover as well. Well, really it is, cool cover. I know, I know. It kind of, kind of multiple pose. It's kind of Spider-Man jumping through the, um, through the skyline with multiple little poses, and then he, he the, 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 obviously the largest image is the one when he's right close upon you. But the actual content is well, there's was, was packed. I think it was Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, um, Daredevil, Thor. There, there was like loads of stuff in there. It was like you know, eight or nine different um, stories in there. Um, cool. and um, I mean, and, and and after a couple of years, they reverted back to doing their. In fact, it might not even mean that long. They reverted back to doing their traditional way of one full page of, a, of American art to one page of uh, British comic. Um, but by that time, I was fully sucked in. I, I was, I was, you know, I was <laughs> hook, line, and I, sinker. I, I, I was a fully fledged true believer. I really was. I was, sure. I, I was all that kind of stuff. And and um, you know, for, for, for a number of years, and I, I just I bought the marvel uk line um i think i think i only then dropped um stopped buying them when i think i think towards the end of this run because i think it lasted it lasted something like 
and unfortunate 666 issues was an unfortunate number it lasted but i think i ended up dropping it around about 630 something because it'd gone through a number of kind of revamps and relaunches and that kind of during that phase but then the final one it became they, they call it spidey comic and it became almost like a um a a, a nursery title um so they they use they you use kind of stories from spidey super stories which was a like a nursery title published in the state so it was really kind of like actually no I, i'm not interested in this anymore um and, that, and that's when that's when i dropped it but if, if you look at kind of um marvel uk's kind of um certainly their weeklies through the 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 mid mid 80s um you'll see i mean i i, I used to have letters printed regularly in, in the um in the in the, in the letter calls there um so so you know um so i i was i was totally into it totally into it um but it, it, it from there everything kind of um grew really everything grew so it's it's um it was i i got a lot to thank their skin for really if i if i ever see him i keep telling him I'll buy him a drink be right be right fantastic uh now um we come on to our last question in regards to comics and that is, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Oh, that would be, um, that would be, I'm going to cheat a bit here because I'm actually going to take a, a, a textbook, which is disguised as a, uh, as a comic. Um, yeah. And that is, um, and that is um, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Because um, it's, it, 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 I don't know if you've read that yourself. I haven't yet. You know what? It's it's on my reading list to get, um, and uh, I've put it out there for for Christmas and uh, and birthday presents, but I'm yet to receive it. <laughs> as well. I mean, it, we, I mean, it, it's it's a great it's a great book because basically, uh, I mean, it's what it says on the tin. It, it, yeah. it tells you all about the mechanics of comics and how they work, um, and it, but it's done in the style of a comic, so. Um, Great. You know, it uses those kind of like literate examples to show you what's what. Um, and um, it came out in, I think it was 87. It came out. So I, I remember, I mean, the, the copy I've got is from, is from then. And um, it really is um, a, 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 the perfect thing to read if you're interested in creating comics. Um, or you just have a fascination with the theory behind comics um there's a lot of stuff that's going on when you read comics that you might not necessarily pick up on Mm. until it's pointed out to you um so i recommend that book to a lot of people especially um uh, creators who who are starting to do comics for the first time yeah um because i get a lot of uh creators coming to me especially new, new you know new ones um asking for kind of show me samples and all that kind of stuff um invariably i kind of tell them to go and read understanding comics by scott mcleod yeah because start there. <laughs> it, no seriously because it, it's it's Definitely. kind of i mean because I, I i remember the first time i read it and it was like it was such a so much of it was such a revelation um and it, it's kind of stuff which is hiding in plain sight in, in many ways and you kind mm. of think oh wow that's right it works like that but then if you understand how comics work from a creative perspective you can then use that knowledge 
to kind of um, guide your own work to, and to improve the own work, the, the work that y- you yourself are doing. Um, so all little tricks about storytelling, that kind of stuff, it all co- it's all covered in in the Scott McLeod book. Um, and it's invaluable. And it's it's one of two. There's only two text comics textbooks that I keep literally right next to my um, my uh, computer at my home office. One one of them is um, um, the the Richard um, Starkins Comic Craft Guide to Lettering, and the other one is the Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Um, they're the only two I think which are which are just essentials. But the Scott McCloud one, that's the one that I would. Um, definitely take with me as my mm. you know my apocalyptic one definitely because yeah as you go into your new new ape publishing house. yeah definitely <laughs> definitely because you know if, if you need to understand how comics work to make really yeah. good comics you do um it, it, it's a bit like um it, it's the same like trying to be a a car mechanic and you don't understand how an engine works mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's that same kind of level of knowledge um yeah. And, and it, it's told in such a, you know, Scott McCloud that it tells it in such a clear way, using comics as an example, um, and it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, it, it really does. It's really quite enlightening. And he's re- he's done two further books as well, um, which um, which was a similar kind of thing. I think one's called Reading Comics. Um, I can't remember what the other one's called, but Understanding Comics was the first one he did, and it is the um, it is the it is the best one. It, it's it's well worth um, hunting out. Um, it, it's I think anyone who's in, who's genuinely interested in comics at whatever capacity, whatever level, um, they need to read it because it's just it's just great. It's just a really really good guide um, to how comics work and what they're all about. It's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, that's just gone to the top of my uh, my uh, birthday list. Uh, my birthday's in a couple of weeks, so hopefully, I'll be I'll be getting that <laughs> in, the, in my birthday present. So it'd be fantastic read for whilst we're all uh, isolated here. Um, but uh, no, yeah, that's fantastic, and we're we're happy to provide you with understanding comics. Uh, now, uh, our last question is: What is the uh, weapon, tool, or useful item that you would like to take with you? Well, it's got to be, um, it's got to be a typewriter. Brilliant. It's got to be a typewriter because you know there is that kind of thing where if you, if you, give a typewriter to an infinite number of monkeys, sooner or later they will produce the works of Shakespeare. But I think before then we'll probably be able to produce some really cracking. Uh, comic stories as well no doubt which which of course then combined with the copy of understanding comics by scott mccloud they could then um you know draw them get them lettered submit them to me um uh, you know because i'll be the monkey publishing company yeah um and potentially then you know dominate the um the the, the primate comic industry fantastic that is absolutely superb steve thank you so much for for sharing your comics with the apocalypse today it's been a real pleasure no it's been my pleasure thank you fantastic and uh one more time for the listeners uh where can they find you online okay well the website is uh timebombcomics.com um so um that's um, <clears throat> the main website and obviously there's a uh, an online shop 
within that. Um, what we do through the any any UK um, addresses always post free as well. We don't put any surcharge on for um, for UK addresses. Um, right. We also then have uh, online on social media. So if you do search for Time Mom Comics or Flintlock or Dick Turpin, um, you will find um, pages and groups on uh, on Facebook. And of course, uh, at Time Bomb Comics is our um, Twitter feed. Um, so uh, we've got stuff on there as well. So, but um, at the same time, I, I, I think I can be quite easily be found on on Facebook myself. So I'm more than happy for anyone to kind of reach out and uh, connect with me directly through through Facebook. Um, I've got no problem with that as well. Fantastic, Steve. Much appreciated. And all of those links, of course, can be found in the show notes. So feel free to click through there and, and and look at all of steve's work and the uh, and the back catalogue of time bomb as well um well steve again thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure and and hopefully when uh when comic cons get up and running again we'll our, our paths will hopefully cross once again yeah i hope so hopefully it won't be too long hopefully you know the next week hopefully there'll be quite a couple of months and then everything will be back to normal yeah i'm hoping that mcm london is going to be okay um it's the end of the may it's on the edge isn't it it is it's on the edge now the thing is that the thing about uh the london one there's there's also a show called the um the games expo um which is traditionally held at the nec in birmingham Mm. um that is right at the end of may well it was and yesterday they postponed that till uh, later on in the year so yeah. I'm kind of I tell you what, I'm kind of expecting May to be postponed, be as well. postponed and then yeah. they'll just they'll just focus on because they do they do two, don't they? they do May yeah. and October maybe off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um so they might but, postpone um, it just till then. I, I would like to be wrong on that, of course. It'd be nice to kind of um mm. get back into the show circuit again because um I managed to get I was at True Believers in um in in, in the, the early start of the year, which is a it was a great show. And obviously looking forward then to kind of doing some more. But um, unfortunately, at the moment, with 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 the the situation as it is, um, we we can't kind of um, have them have them. Which which you know, and you understand why it makes perfect sense because what you don't totally. want you don't want loads of people head falling in after after they've enjoyed themselves at a comic convention. Um, so um, hopefully, when once um once everything is is settled down a bit, um, the comic con circuit will be gearing up, up and to running go. again. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, well, uh, yes, Steve, thank you so much. Um, it's, been, it's been a real, real pleasure today. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed we, we will uh, meet again in person. <laughs> I'm sure we will, Sam. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Steve. You take care. You too. Bye for now. Thanks again to Steve for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will let me know that you liked it, but but I believe uh, that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Steve's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to check out Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and lots of other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, or the current situation doesn't escalate uh, any more, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.